drinking beers, rolling dice, and talking shit. The Veteran Gamer Reenlisted. Episode 64. Yeah, let's do this. We're rolling dice. Who cares what happens? What's up, veteran gamers? We are back with another edition of the show that drinks beer, rolls dice, and talks shit. I'm your host, Andy. I have no raid today. <laughs> um, following major tournaments like the SoCal Open, it's tough for us to get together because uh, we have to take days off of work over weekends, and we have to make up for that during the week. So I promise you we'll be back next week with our SoCal Open recap. Uh, we could not get to the day two recap. Um at the end of day one, they were kicking us out of the place. So day two, we did not get a chance to record, which is a disappointment. Um, I'm sure it could line up lots of people to talk to, um, but it just couldn't happen. Uh, we couldn't get together this week. So I promise you we're getting over the weekend. We're going to get our drink on, get our talk on, and get you some SoCal Open recap. In the meantime, I sat down with my good buddy, Tony Myers, uh, owner, operator, total pimp over at Hammerhead Games. Uh, we talked about his business. We talked about playing some 40K. Uh, we talked about our day at SoCal, or our game together at SoCal Open. Uh, lots of good stuff. Uh, so I highly recommend, uh, his, his website, his, his material, um, his products. Of course, we have some VGR branded products with over at, uh, Hammerhead Games. Uh, you can find them over at hammerheadgames.net. Um, but it's a really good show. He's a real good friend of the show, real good friend of mine, and uh, it's a really good interview. Um, but in the meantime, I need to get caught up on a little bit of podcast business before next week. Of course, we have a new patron. Uh, we are joined by Logan Screwswell. I think that's your email. I don't know. I'm really bad at reading today. Um, but he joined us at the $5 a month level. Thank you so much. Yeah, we'll be using that for some beer money, um, helping support the show. Um, but he he actually he left us a comment at the same time, and he goes, uh, you're all real pieces of shit. Uh, I love your takes on changes in the 40K world. All the other podcasts I listen to are constantly bitching about something they know little about or haven't tried yet. Uh, read your fucking codex, find something else, and get creative. Keep up the shit talking. Take my money. Please use it only on hookers and coke. Stay fucked up. I don't know where in the world you're getting your hookers or coke from. Maybe like Kansas or something like that. But I don't know here in California, five dollars doesn't get you very far in hookers and coke. A five dollar hooker, if that's something I'd like to see. I, I don't know, maybe not. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we do have voicemails. We get caught up in those next week because Ray likes listening to those. Uh, but Logan screws well, or is it Logan's? I don't know. Your mail. Uh, thanks so much for uh, supporting the show. Uh, we'll have some more episodes here coming up, uh, but thank you for your support. Um, hopefully soon I'll have some big news to report here coming up. Um, there are some things happening, some irons in the fire, uh, so to speak, uh, with the show. With maybe some things we'll be doing, uh, and I hope to be announcing those soon. But until those ladies, uh, well, not those ladies, but until then, ladies, uh, enjoy the show. So today I am being joined by my now my good buddy <laughs> um and uh, uh partner in crime uh tony myers owner and operator of hammerhead games how's it going i'm good how's everybody doing no we're doing good doing good hey so um i wanted to call you on here um because of course we met back at the broadside or not the broadside bash uh, the bay area open that's correct and we played our final game together we were both what three and two trying to go four and two yeah, yeah, we were on that bubble. We were we were going for four and two. The winner decides, you know, that kind of thing. 
So uh, I called you on here because I wanted to. We found out. I found out about your business at the time. I didn't know who you were and whatnot. So I wanted to kind of figure out, you know, what it was all about. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so so basically, uh, what we do is we specialize in doing um, gaming accessories, uh, anything you can use to make your game better. Um, you know, you mentioned that we when we met, we were. We were players. Obviously, it's something that um, I enjoyed doing myself. That's kind of how it all got started. Um, you know, there was some things that I wanted to see made that weren't being made. Um, things that I thought I could do better. Um, and selfishly, I wanted to figure out a way to make them for myself. And the best way to make them for myself is to make them for everybody. And then that's the way that goes. So, um, yeah. So the like I said, I was there was a lot of. Um, a lot of things I saw that could be made, um, a lot of things I wanted. And, and like I said, selfishly, I started out wanting things for myself. I figured, you know, if I made them for other people, it'd be a good way for me to get them as well. Um, kind of, kind of fix a need for everybody. I kind of anticipated it being something I would do on the side, you know, with my regular jobs. Um, and now it's developed into my full-time business that, um, it's what I do now and, and, uh, I love every minute of it. So that's kind of where we're at. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what does it feel like to be working in a business um, where it was first a hobby, something you love to do, and now it's like what you do for a living? What's it like every day? You know, it's it's kind of surreal. It's kind of an interesting um, thing. You know, I've, I've been playing um, 40K and, and Games Workshop games and pretty much every other game system for um, as long as I can remember. I mean, there's pictures of, of me in local shops uh, in their little scrapbooks when I was like seven years old when I first started. So I've been playing for a really long time, um, going on over 20 years now. Um, so for me, it started as, like I said, a hobby. It started as something that, you know, I just really enjoyed and wanted to do something, um, involved with it. And you never really think that you could make a go of it, um, full time, but, um, here I am and that's what we've done. And, and it's great. It's really awesome. Um, I was a little worried that, you know, the work life passion scenario would happen and you, you know, I'd lose some of that, um, you know, desire to, to keep doing it. You know, I thought maybe it, w- it wouldn't be as fun if it became my job, but you know, and honestly, it's really great. I get to talk to amazing people every day. I get to work with, you know, people that are in the hobby. I get to meet, you know, I go to a show and I see, you know, hundreds of people that, you know, recognize me and i recognize them the good buddies it's it's like going to work but also having fun at the same time you know so it's it's good i really enjoy it well so talk to me about hammerhead games talk to me about like the the products that you make and um uh, and yeah talk about your products and you know uh, what inspires your products um so like i said it started when when i you know wanted the, the the brass tacks of it is that i had a um a tournament that I was going to, I needed a quick measure device. Um, it was really hard to find some, I ended up finding one in the UK. I had it shipped to me. Um, it showed up broken. I was devastated. It was terrible. I paid way too much money for it. And I said, the hell with that. I'm going to make my own. So, um, I drew something up, came up with a design that was, you know, my own went down to a local company that, um, could laser cut them. Um, they actually have a few of them here in Sacramento, um, that do, you know, not gaming related laser cutting, but just their own. And, um, you said, okay, how much is it, how much would it be if I bought a hundred of these things and let's see if I can, you know, sell them to my buddies and get, get them a cheaper price point, things like that. So, 
Uh, long story short, it ended up being way too much money to try to do it that way, um, where it would be cost effective to bring it to the market. So what I ended up doing was uh, investing in my own machine, getting that going, and and um, you know now here I am, two and a half, almost three years later, and uh, we've got a second machine. We're looking at more, um, and we're off to the races. So as far as what we actually make, um, you know, we we specialize in laser cut. Um, tokens, gaming aids, quick measures, um, pretty much anything you can use for your, uh, for your helping your game and, and making it a little easier, especially, and, you know, things have been really good with, uh, um, you know, we, we try to do things that help you play your game faster, which has become a point of interest lately with the whole time clocks and, um, everything like that. So, um, that's kind of our niche. That's what we do. Um, we also do a lot of custom work. So for us, that, that keeps us busy as always. Um, people putting their gaming logos. Um, we've done some work for you guys as well. Um, and, and we love to do that because it's a good way for us to support, you know, our friends and support our, our, uh, other hobbyists and other people that are involved. And, um, at the same time, you know, get everybody the stuff they want and have it in a good swag kind of way that, you know, they can support everybody. So, that's pretty much what we do. Yeah, we got um, your um, the quick measure guide, the quick measure rulers. Um, we got up a bunch of those, and Ray and I were handing them out to our opponents, and our opponents were really stoked to get those. So every every nice. table I went to, of course, other than you and me when we played, it was, "Hey, you're my opponent. You win a prize." You know, and it's like, yeah. "Oh my god, I get this thing!" Like, yeah, yeah. It's, what, what what do I get this for? Just playing me? It's cool. Yeah. And they ask about it, and I would tell them about your business. You got to check out these other things they make. They'd be like, oh, cool! I'll check that out. So it was a good way to kind of cross promote each other. Um, it's also really cool. Like I haven't really used, I tried using quick measure ones, that, like other company ones in the past that just didn't like, work out for me. So I was kind of getting used to day one. I was wearing a dress, so there are no pockets. So I had to figure <laughs> out where I was going to hold this. So just getting used to, it, but now it's like, it's like second nature. It just makes it so much easier to measure my stuff out, get my things there. Um, and then, uh, of course you brought me those, um, uh, the uh, objective markers. Um, and people thought those are really cool looking as well. So they're, they're really cool products. They're really neat. And it actually helps your game move faster. I'm a guy who plays Tyranids and I move lots and lots of models. So being able to move quickly is important, but I also have to place very specifically. <laughs> um, right. So it, the, the tools actually really help out a lot. So I was really happy to get those. Um, Good. T- t- talk to me about um, what was the, what was the first product you actually made though? So the first, uh, the first product that we actually made two at the exact same time, but, um, as far as for the release to the public, but the initial, uh, first item that we made was a six inch quick measure. Um, and we've, we've made a couple, um, iterations of it now, um, slight improvements, but the overall concept is pretty much stayed the same and it's still a useful tool today. Um, the, the nine inch one that you, that we made for you guys is, um, a little more current as far in, in use, but there is a lot more use, um, to the smaller one as well, uh, for in those tighter close combat type situations. Um, so, but yeah, that was the first tool that we made. Um, the next one, uh, unfortunately was all but retconned by, uh, GW when they got rid of templates. And that was our three in one template that had like the flamer, large blast and small blast all in one, uh, tool. Oh, those tools uh, were so good too, especially when templates are around. Like you had to carry around nine different templates for all these things. It'd be right. just one tool. Right. Yeah. That was, um, that was our, our other item that we put out. And, and honestly, they're still being used, um, quite a bit by the 30K community and, um, Horus Heresy stuff because they're still in seventh edition for all rules purposes, basically. Um, so those are still popular there. Um, obviously, you know, templates are otherwise not being used um, in in eighth edition 40k. But yeah, those are quite popular. 
Um, so those are the first two things we started with. Um, the one that really got us on the map um, was when we went to our first LVO and we um, we had what was called a, a multi-blast template. Um, and, you know, in 7th edition, there was a lot of um, barrage weapons and small blast templates where you were rolling scatter dice and flopping them on each other. And um, Imperial Knights were doing stomps and the stomps all had to connect with each other. Um, so we developed a tool that um, allowed that to happen but it was all one piece instead of you know trying to fumble 12 different small blasts in your hand and and figuring out how that would work um you know created so many arguments with your opponents <laughs> yeah a lot all the feel bads it's like you know we just had to figure out a way to fix that and you know once again selfishly i played renegade guard at the time um so i made myself something and, and luckily it was something really really great a lot of people really enjoyed it um and yeah, it, it kind of took off from there. And then uh, right around the time we were hitting our stride, you know, like I said, GW had other plans, and, and then we adapt as we always do. And you know, you just find the next tool that they need for the next job, and there it is. Yeah, I played. I play um, Tyranids. So my Biovores used to do the same multi barrage thing. Was always talking with your opponent, like, okay, it's over that guy there with the little <laughs> green helmet. Yeah, that guy. Okay, now it flips over this way. Now how many do I get? Uh, you get four, not five. No, it's four. Yeah, so I get right. how that have been really helpful. Yeah, yeah. I played, um, like I said, I played Renegade Guard, so I was uh, shooting, a, uh, I believe it was 48 small blasts a turn. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I definitely was motivated to come up with a tool that helped me do that. <laughs> yes, of course. That's so dumb. <laughs> 48. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was just a small blast. I think I still had 12 of the large ones after that. So it was... Uh, pretty pretty interesting but yeah it got to the point where i was like just tell me how many it is i'd let the guy use the tool and he'd flop it over and as long as he didn't just kept saying one over and again i would just say okay that's fine yeah so (laughs) just kind of go on the honor system there (laughs) uh, speaking of 40k uh, i usually ask everyone i interview but um who was the asshole that convinced you that this is the game you're spending all of your money on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> steal your pocket there was always one guy go you should come do this and next thing you know like you're just taking time away from your family you're hanging out in a room with a bunch of sweaty dudes with butt cracks hanging out like who is what was the moment that you got you got uh, uh, tricked into to joining the 40k hobby well um it was kind of, i actually i actually recently got and there's a little bit of a story behind it so it's kind of good um i recently got a copy of in a really good condition copy of the original white dwarf that sucked me in um, oh. so, um, basically I was at a, I was, you know, really young when I started playing, um, Warhammer fantasy was the first one I got into. Um, but before I got into any of that, I had, you know, my friend at a, at a, uh, after school program had, you know, this white dwarf and he was like, Hey, check this out. I got it from my older brother. What do you guys think? And, you know, and he, he thought it was edgy and cool cause it had skulls and, some, <laughs> it's got you know, skulls yeah you know it was it, it was the sisters of battle issue you know so it had the iconic um uh sister on the front with with her with her uh doing the captain morgan on the pile of skulls you know? right right right. yeah yeah right so that was basically um the the moment that i you know kind of looked at that and i let he let me borrow it and i took it home to my parents and you know, my parents were relatively conservative. So, you know, and, and on the side of, uh, you know, we're not going to play games with demons and fire and skulls and death stuff. And, um, you know, so I basically talked him into it. And the way I did it was I got both of my brothers to, uh, I conned them into wanting to do it. So now all three of us were hounding them and, you know, we were all going to do it together. And it was like this big thing. And, 
uh, we ended up getting, you know, a starter box and getting all this stuff together. And, and then, uh, once the door opened, it was pretty much a wrap from there. Um, any, any spare dollar allowance, um, whatever. I mean, I, I distinctly remember, you know, saving aluminum cans as I was a kid to go <laughs> save up <laughs> and go buy some more 40 K. So, um, that's, that's where it all began. And so I guess I got to blame whoever that kid was back in, uh, back in after school care there. <laughs> <laughs> so how old were you then when you got involved in the, um, so I originally got involved when I was seven years old. Um, and wow. I, yeah, so I've been playing a majority of my life. There's actually way, it's about three times more of playing than not playing. Uh, um, so really young, um, definitely been a big part of my life all along. Um, now I, don't get me wrong. I wasn't, you know, going to the SoCal open or, you know, I wasn't sure like then, but, but I wasn't like re- dominating tournaments or going to anything like that early on or, um, you know, playing hardcore. It was basically, you know, I had a couple Bretonian bowmen and I dance them around on a table and maybe get a Lehman rust tank every now and again and you know, something <laughs> yeah. like that and try to make it work. But <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's obviously developed into a passion of mine. It's developed into it, something I take very seriously and play. And, uh, when I can, I mean, I end up working a whole lot more than I play in it nowadays, but, um, that's also good. So well, that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, cause you got to have the money to support that hobby because that hobby is, this hobby is not cheap. So yeah, no joke. Yeah. Um, so what armies do you play right now? I mean, I know I've played you and the elder, but do you play, I know you talked about your guard, but what other, do you play anything else? Well, I, for years and years, I was a staunch, um, Space Marines player. That's pretty much all I played. Um, I mean, at some point I've played practic- practically every army there is. Um, um, I, NIDS is probably one of the few that I haven't truly played. Um, and, and but at, at times I've, I've owned armies of pra- practically everything between trading or buying or, you know, flipping and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, people quit the hobby, you get their collection, you move on, you know, all that kind of stuff. But for the most part in 8th edition and towards the end of 7th, I was transitioning into uh, playing Eldar and all the different versions of them. So that's that's um, my main um, army right now. I still have quite a few other armies, but that's I don't generally bring them out or play those anymore. I figured out that uh, Eldar is pretty much the play style I really enjoy. Um, you know, uh, unfortunately, they also tend to be pretty good. So I tend to get a lot of flack from everybody so yeah they think i'm just some bandwagon eldar player but um that wasn't the intention i actually just enjoy having to you know think when i play instead of you know play imperial knights and press go yeah well i think everyone so, i think all original eldar players took a lot of heat after seventh edition because then everyone played eldar yeah. right so you get lumped in with those folks i have mm-hmm. never been accused of being a bandwagoning tyranid player because it's never happened uh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, from what I hear, uh, nids are a little good these days. So uh, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if they're helping or not. But <laughs> <laughs> in the right hands, they're good, and I'm hoping uh, to get an interview with some good tier new players who are coming up to talk about it. But I know me and Ray talked about it. And it's kind of one of those high ceiling, kind of high, um, high risk, high reward kind of armies. So yeah, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll get good at this game one day and figure it out. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, uh, you know, I, I definitely think Tyranids are top tier right now. I think they have the capability to do it. I think they, most of the top tier armies right now, um, fall into the category. If, if you're good enough to utilize them the right way and, uh, barring any crazy obscure, um, matchups that are just bad for you, you should be able to, 
uh, do really well with them. So um, a lot of them are player based and player skill. Um, and I, I think that's the, the case for most of the top armies right now. Um, oh, sure. You know, a lot of people like to go netlist and go pick out whatever anybody else is playing, and then they wonder why they don't do very well. Um, and I think part of that is they just haven't taken the time to really learn why that army's good. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, all you know, people think that oh, this this list is the best list because it was easy. And I think, I think the Castel. I mean, when you see the same list over and over and over again at the top tables, yeah, these sure. are the top players playing them. But you know, you've seen these lists like an RT or something like that, where a guy who wasn't necessarily <laughs> right. that good is now mopping up the floor and you know going two and one at an RT and doing very well. It's right. Yeah, knights are pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, and there's exceptions to like all that, obviously, you know, I mean, for example, like Yanari at the end of seventh edition were so completely busted that no one could stop them. And there it was. And, and then, you know, that got nerfed and then come eighth edition, you know, they've, they've touched them 17 times already at this point. And, um, you know, not to say that they aren't amazing. I think they're definitely one of the top ones There's it's another reason why I enjoy playing them, but <laughs> you know, being able to use a good army is always, always helpful. Um, but, you know, there's the thing is, if something's completely dominant, generally GW, especially nowadays, uh, has proven that they'll that they'll nerf something, they'll change something, they'll do the FAQ, they'll do what they needs to be happened. Um, and recently that's happened with Knights to an extent that's kind of toned them back. And that's why you didn't see, um, you know, them just all top eight at SoCal or or any of the other bigger tournaments recently. Um, but they do make bad players better to play Knights. Um, you can be an in, a pretty mediocre player play Imperial Knights and coast to the middle of the board um, when it comes to the standings. So yeah, they, they yeah. definitely carry some weight. Um, you know, some of the other armies are a little bit harder to play. Like you mentioned, Nids are definitely something that takes some time and effort and, um, you know, it's got a lot of nuances to it and it seems easy just, you know, charge your opponent and you win, but that's not really the case. There's ways that you have to do it. There's things you have to do tips and tricks and, um, and I think that's what makes um, I think that's what makes you a good player is that you actually know what those are and you know what you're doing and and unfortunately you were good enough to beat me at SoCal so there's that. <laughs> good, let's talk about that. I really want to talk right. about that. Uh, yeah, rip the bandaid. Let's do it. Let's just uh, you know if you have any salt, I'll just t- you know just throw a little bit of that in there. It'll be great. Uh, <laughs> well, no, this is our actually our second game, and I actually said before the SoCal Open, hopefully we'll get a chance at a rematch. Right. Well, it yeah. happened. <laughs> No, I, you know what, honestly, it couldn't, it couldn't have been better. Like, on, like I was, I was really excited for the rematch. Um, you know, it was something that I, that I was looking forward to. I mean, our last game was so nail bitingly close at the end, um, being able to, you know, well, maybe not the last turn, but, um, but yeah, I mean, the game was hinging on, on a couple things and, and it was no different with this game, I think. Um, so, you know, it was good. Um, anytime you can, you can play a buddy, you can have, you know, some, uh, beverages and you can enjoy yourself while you're playing and then also still have that high level of competition is um is the best i mean that's what you want so oh yeah always you know sharing some beverages as you say yeah <laughs> uh with some friends which is the only way i know how to play because that's the way i learned to play sure um i learned how to play with a 30 pack of tacatis and some uh, cheap tacos from dotaco that's how i learned to play uh, right well me too at seven that's when i did that yeah at seven years old <laughs> 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 you and your friend is hey i got my dad's bud lights let's go do this thing yeah let's do this we're rolling dice who cares what happens it'll be great 
No, but no, that was a good game. I, I could have sworn, like, after you got turn one, you dropped your Dark Reapers, and I could have misjudged where you would put them, and you mm-hmm. shot the Swarm Lord off the board. I was like, oh, okay, that's game over. Like, I thought that was it. But yeah. uh, we had talked about it in the beginning how the terrain was sort of working in my advantage, and it ended up working in my advantage at that point. Yeah, and that and that's tough. Like, and, and it's funny, um, you know, we talked about that, but you know, just like no one likes to blame dice, you never like to blame the terrain, like as if it's some something outside of your control. I mean, we're both playing on the same table. You definitely have to adapt to whatever table you walk up to. Um, you need to deal with any circumstance that's why we don't just play static gunline armies that just don't do anything and you just continually shoot each other um you know but that being said that terrain specifically that table i found out later had a piece of terrain that was removed from the table and other players were having issues with it so um it was supposed to be much more beneficial for not shooting swarm lord um actually (laughs) so oh really uh, yeah so that table actually was missing um a giant line of sight blocking centerpiece ruin um and somehow throughout the day had been removed from the table and wasn't there anymore and it, and it was brought up in some of the conversations online um where another person um was playing on that exact same table and had a similar issue so um i think it would have actually been more more in your favor to be honest <laughs> so there's well, that <laughs> I, I felt the table was pretty well stacked with terrain it's, it's funny there would be an extra piece there because there was a lot of terrain on that board so yeah, collectively there would have been. I think, and and actually, I mean, I think it would have been better to get rid of a couple of those hills if they did have that other big piece of terrain. Yes, of course. Um, yeah, because I mean, you start having four tall line of sight blocking hills with a giant ruin that was supposedly missing, um, and that, and then combine it with you know everything, the four corners of ruins that there were already there. I mean, now now that table's stacked. I mean, we're in the, the densest uh, urban warfare there is. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> or what <laughs> would have been rural warfare, what it looked like, because that was crazy right. that, you know, I, I couldn't imagine an extra big piece of planet type blocking terrain. That would have been nuts. I wouldn't have been able to move my models anywhere. Right. Yeah, I'm not sure what that was. I was just, like I said, I, I specifically saw pictures of another, of somebody. Um, they, You know how we had, we had our, our, I mean, obviously the listeners aren't, aren't necessarily visualizing this with us but they ha- we had our hills that were in an x format um and they actually had their set up in, a, in an opposite way that c- was perfect for uh, the spearhead where literally the hills matched exactly where the um the point of the arrow was for each side okay um and so basically what ended up happening was is it let the uh the aggressive army be right on the line while also being in the perfect cover um that's so crazy on turn one yeah and so they were they, that's what made the comment and that's what made the the picture go up um, for them to joke about it. But um, I think that was literally the one exception table out of the entire 200 million tables that were there. Um, I, every other table I walked up to seemed have really balanced terrain, really nice stuff. Um, and like I said, it just happened to be somebody randomly decided on their own to pull a table um, or pull a piece of terrain off the table, which is crazy. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I'm not, I've literally never even heard of that. Like that's the thing. <laughs> I, I, I don't like this terrain. I was going to take it away. Yeah, like I don't like okay. this. Yeah, because I, yeah, that just doesn't make any sense. That's but okay. So <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, thanks guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, it all works out. Like I said, like it's not terrain is one of those things that you try not to base the game on, or you know, to blame the game on or anything like that. I don't think that that was um, the win or lose scenario there. Um, I think that charge you made was pretty much the game. Uh, and anytime you make a charge with Tyranids, I think that's a that's a good move on your part. Yeah, being able to make that the charge into the guardians kill just enough of them 
mm-hmm. to then overrun and then collapse in on top of the pile on top of your Dark Reapers. That was the move I needed to make. If it wasn't for that move, the game would have been over. Right. Yeah. And and what's crazy about it is that um, you know through either dumb luck or sheer force of will, I was able to to actually get those guys out of there. Um, you know by getting them back into the transports and, and running away. But unfortunately, you know, time is a, time is a thing. So, um, when you run out of time, you don't have a, a way to finger out the rest of the, the game. So, um, well, that's yeah, your you fault for to, slow playing me. So, well, you know, uh, beverages, beverages, so, <laughs> my plan no, it, it, it succeeded. No, yeah. I, I definitely, I definitely think that we played at a, a, a good crisp pace. It wasn't any kind of slow play at all whatsoever. I mean, we're both playing armies that, take pretty much every phase of the game very seriously and we don't skip past them. It's not like we're, you know, Necron's not doing psychic or anything right. like that. I, I, you know, I play, we all do psychic. We all do close combat. We all do shooting, you know, like every phase of the game on both turns is definitely a thing. And there's a lot of models and I soul burst. So of course I go twice all the time and you know, there's, there's all of that. So I think considering that and considering the, the, um, you know, the, the, how we played the game and, and, and enjoyed it and actually walked through everything. I, you know, I don't think we played slow at all. I think we played at the right pace and no, no, no. Yeah. Um, it's just the way it kind of goes, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how'd you end up at that tournament? Um, I finished four and two. Um, that's, that's what I tend to do for some reason. I, I can't get over the bubble to go five and one, but I don't ever go three and three. So I'm not sure, um, if that's good or bad. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I guess in a way, um, you know, I, I'm really, I'm obviously I'm always really happy. I had a ton of great opponents. Every one of my games were, um, really fun. Um, I, I told you before I was dreading that, you know, you walk up to the game one of the weekend and, you know, especially in my position where I don't have a lot of time for practice games. I've literally played one game before I showed up to SoCal with my list. Um, probably the first time in over a month of playing. So, um, I, you know, I show up and, and I'm just like, man, please don't be a douchebag. Whoever the first guy is, <laughs> yeah. can we just not be a douchebag? And and luckily, I had an amazing first round opponent, and um, it worked out really well. And and so my my biggest fears were were uh, for no reason. So that was good. So yeah, I had no had no douchebaggery on my end either. Um, That's good. I, I played a really tough list game one. I've had this thing where all season long, the entire season, I don't think I've won a game one yet. Yeah, um, I lose game one every RT, every tournament, everything. I've lost game one. Um, my game one ended up being the guy who got fifth place at SoCal Open with an all Virtus oh, wow. Predator jet bike list that everyone said was a murder to play against. Right. And his only loss was the Brandon Grant, the eventual champion of the of the thing. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I heard Brandon Grant's a little good. I'm he's he's sure, a little but... good. He's okay. He's pretty good at this yeah. game. I mean. He's always got room for improvement, but he's getting there, you know. Right? Yeah, he, I, I would try hard enough and believe in yourself. I think he can make it. So. <laughs> <laughs> he's only won back-to-back SoCal's BAO a couple times, you know. Yeah, just a couple Going of little for- tournaments, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what What's crazy is that you know, and I've you know, I have to sit here and talk about other you know other people, but I mean, everyone else at the top end, they tend to. You know, you hear something bad about him. I have never heard anybody say a negative word about that guy. Mm-mm. Like, no matter what. So, there it is. That's uh No, that's he's, a, he's a great player. Um, he's always willing to talk about his list, help you with mm-hmm. your list. Um, right. I met him many years ago. Uh, yeah. Um, we played a doubles tournament together. Didn't really oh, know nice. who the guy was. But he was really, really nice. We saw each other the same stores a couple times. And then next thing you know, I look up and he'd won the BAO. And I go, 
hey, I played a doubles tournament with that guy, and I was a really shitty player, and I probably brought him down, but there he is. Winning. I have no <laughs> idea he was that good. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, it's 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 funny. He, yeah, he's definitely a really good player. It's, you wouldn't know it just talking to him as far as, um, you know, his attitude or anything like that. So that's always I couldn't I couldn't be happier for him, you know, kind of one, as one of my friends. And so that's really cool to see him win the whole thing. And um, yeah, I mean, he deserves it, you know. So well, he is a robot. So if you were to cut right. him open, a bunch of wires would pop out. You know? So he's just a yeah, he's robot. Uh, he's definitely the Terminator. Yeah. So. <laughs> I, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, one one day I'll be that methodical. I, I haven't been able to figure that out. I tend to play a little looser. So yeah. Um. So I know you got some big things coming up. Some you can share. Some that you can't. Um. But I know you had a big reveal. Actually, two big reveals this week for your business. Yeah. Um. So. You know, I, I've been kind of it, – it's been a weird scenario for me because um, for the last roughly six months, we've had a lot of irons in the fire, a lot of things that are on the horizon, a lot of things that are still not released just yet that we're working on that are going to be amazing. I'm really looking forward to uh, sharing that with everybody. Um, we did have two releases this last weekend just after um, – uh, actually, one was just before SoCal and one of them is, is uh, as soon as yesterday. Um, so the first one is, is that um, – my company and a, another company are partnering up to uh, work with Warlord Games to be the um, demo and event team for the West Coast um, on their behalf. Um, and so if you guys aren't familiar with Warlord Games, uh, they basically do Bolt Action, Gates of Antares, Conflict 47, um, and probably another 10 or 12 other games that I could list off all day long. But um, Bolt Action is the one that you're probably the most familiar with. Um, and so... Uh, one of those announcements is that we'll be debuting um, our event team and handling everything um, at the LVO coming up in February. Um, and so we'll be running the tournaments there. We'll be doing lots of demos of all the different games. Uh, we'll be having all of their products for sale at, the, at our booth, um, as well as all of our normal products. Um, and we will be there in full force uh, to debut that. And then going forward, uh, we'll be handling all of uh, the conventions and all of the events for Warlord on the West Coast. Um, and the West Coast is a little bit of a misleading term because it's actually uh, everything from California over to Texas all the way up to pretty much Canada. So um, <laughs> so the, yeah, so West, the West, essentially, the old West. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a little easier to say the West as opposed to the West Coast. Um, so one, we already have a few events that are planned. Um, one of them is going to be the Bug Eater GT um, in June. That's all the way in Nebraska. Uh, we're working on some others. Um, and, you know, r- roughly just as a as a good guesstimate of what we're going to be looking at is about 12 to 15 conventions um, and major events throughout the year um, just for that um, to showcase the products, to run events and be there. So. Um, if that's something that people are interested in, if that's something that people want to check out, stop by, say hello. We'll show you everything there is about it. Um, there's a lot of prizes, a lot of fun, a lot of stuff that we're going to be handing out. Um, we're going to be doing a whole lot uh, with that. Um, more details are coming, um, but basically we're announcing that that's what we're doing with them, and we've, we've developed that partnership. So I'm really excited about it. Well, that's awesome. You're going to be doing a lot. That, I mean, you talked to me about it at the the tournament saying, yeah, this is probably the last time I'm going to get to play at a tournament because I'm just going to be working every tournament from here on out. Right. Yeah. That's pretty much where we're at. Um, at least for the, you know, the initial push, obviously we want to, uh, maybe one day when I've made my millions and we work it out, I'll be able to return back to the glory of playing 40 K. But, um, <laughs> but uh, for right now, I think, uh, you know, obviously we're going to be focused on, on giving everybody the best possible experience, not only just, um, 
for, with Warlord and, and all the products that we can put out for them um, and, and show everybody that there are other games that are really, really well balanced, work really well, and not to take anything away from the 40K stuff at all, but, you know, there are other options you can do. So if you get a little burnt out, there's, a, there's something else you can play um, alongside of it. Um, and that's kind of how I got started with the with uh, Bolt Action. Is That's why I enjoy it so much, is it was a good way to take a break when I was burnt out on going to too many tournaments or whatever it was. And uh, so... Yeah, that's that's what that's about. Um, but yeah, we'll be working on developing our team and getting a lot of people out there. Um, so it's going to be big. Uh, LVO is going to be. Uh, it always is. It's always a big event for us. So um, really looking forward to it. It'll be great. Yeah, I know a lot of people in seventh edition, especially, just got kind of got burnt out from the forty k scene. It right. Was, it, it was <laughs> the game. I'll speak for myself. The game wasn't fun in seventh edition. Yeah. Yeah, I um I've had this conversation quite a bit with a, with a bunch of people, and um, I'm still one of the the, the defenders of the seventh edition rulebook. Um, uh, however, the codex bloat and all the things were terrible. So, um, I I think, in my opinion, what they could have done is they could have just nuked all the codexes and kept the core rules, and we would have been just fine. Um, but I'm also I really enjoy eighth edition now as well, so it's hard to hard to say that more and more as the game goes on. Uh, yeah, I yeah. mean, eighth edition was. I think a lot of people recognize there was a problem with seventh. I mean, there was nothing but talk about it unless you won all these tournaments, right? Right. But right. I think people kind of came out that eighth edition was a a massive reinvention and really a good way. Um, but actually, when I learned of that, you were doing some of these other things. I actually looked up Warlord Games um, and the Beyond the Gates of Antares showed up, and so right. I'm looking for some some models to fit into some of my 40k stuff too. And yeah. You know, I looked at some of the stuff. I'm always looking for like another kind of different looking model. I like to kit bash, like to try new things. Yeah, some alternative models, some third party kind of stuff. Um, anything you can do to make it a little bit different, especially if you're sick of having, um, you know, like there's certain models that there's one pose and you need 10 of them. So right. If you want to mix and match it, then you can look at the other games. And, and that's in Gates of Antares is basically uh, Warlord's uh, sci fi um, answer to 40K. Um, it's a really cool system. Um, it works really well. It's got some amazing models. It's not really showcased as much as, uh, or they're not as known for it as, as uh, Bolt Action. It's also been, hasn't been around as long. Um, but yeah, Gates of Antares is a really cool game. So yeah, I'm looking for some assassin models and I'm looking at some of these models. The, the models look fantastic. Yeah. Um, some of the poses are great. They look dynamic. So I was like, okay, I'll get, I'll, I'll maybe give a couple of these a try. And the price points aren't bad either. Right. That's uh, kind of uh, Warlord Games' bread and butter there is that the model ranges are, are so much more cost effective. I mean, for, you know, roughly one to two hundred dollars, you can you can get yourself an army of, you know, bolt action or gates of Antares. And, you know, for the most part, unless you go into, you know, hardcore, got to collect everything, um, that'll pretty much cover you, you know, and that you can't say the same when it comes to, to 40K. And, uh, you know, we know how much the hobby costs. We've talked already about that. But um yeah, it's definitely the, their price point is much, you know, I think more palatable. So that's that's definitely the way to go. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about too is because I've kind of been this has shown up in my conversation with people around the hobby and mostly just me trolling other people because I like to do that on occasion. <laughs> is uh, there's a GW store opening up in our area in direct right. competition to a friendly local game store in our area, mm-hmm. um, and your business is not in GW stores. Um, so I kind of get in this argument with folks sometimes that I, I, I'm not a fan of that whole G like, if there's nothing other options, right? There's no game store in a certain region. That'd be great for GW to open up a store, right? Get the hobby out there. Right. But in places where you have like two or three or potentially even more friendly local game stores, it just seems 
uh, it's like a bummer to me that they would show up and try to directly compete with these game stores that are providing gaming space and gaming areas. And, you know, I, I, you know, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on, on what you thought about that. What do you think about that? Well, it, you know, um, it, it's a mixed bag because, um, you know, it's, it is always nice to see another store pop up. And I think anybody that, um, is like, for example, as a business owner, I, I'm not, I'm not, a um, unaware of other people existing in the marketplace. Sure. You know, I mean, I'm definitely not the only person to ever have a laser cutter to do some things. Um, that being said, uh, competition in my opinion is always good. Um, if you competition makes you better, makes you stronger, makes you do things. Um, it, it develop, makes you develop new things that you maybe wouldn't have. If you are the only kid on the block, you don't necessarily have to figure anything out. Um, and I think that GW had that for a really long time. And now there's plenty of options and there's other people stepping up to do a lot of things. And, and Warlord Games is definitely one of them. Um, as far as them having their own re- chain of retail stores, um, to be perfectly honest, I personally don't go. Um, the only time I do go is when they have some super exclusive model that only comes out in their stores and I have to go wait in line. So I go wait in line. I buy three of them. I put two of them on eBay and then I keep the one for myself and, and then I don't go back. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a, that's about as much involvement as I have with a, with a GW store, um, short of, you know, the week before a tournament. And for some reason, the local stores are sold out of something and I need, they happen to have more because those stores tend to be better stocked, which is also part of the problem um so that yeah i mean it for the most part i think most of the community is relatively negative on the fact that they exist and they're around and especially if they show up in areas that already have established game stores that are generally small businesses that are just trying to um you know trying to feed their families trying to have um you know a good gaming space for their local community and then you know here comes a corporate monster with a with a store that only offers one option um, I think conceptually they're, they're missing the ball. You know, I think they could do a lot more if they opened up third party options inside their store or even other games. Cause like I said, it's almost like you go to the store where they have a monopoly. This is literally what you buy and this is all we have. And it's like they, they create this system or this is their only, the only option. And that's just not true. Um, and I think the customer can decide for themselves. Um, I don't know how much longer you're going to see a lot of those games workshop stores other than if they just continue to feed them in order to have presence, um, despite not making as much money. Um, you know, you got online options with, you know, Amazon and all these other things like that. And then not to mention that, um, the stores that are left for local game stores tend to be the bigger, more robust, um, established stores. Um, and so those aren't going anywhere anytime fast because they've developed, um, a strong community that that is loyal to going to them and things like that. So, um, if they do open up a new game store, especially for, for just GW products, um, they're at a disadvantage because, you know, they, they only sell one product and the other stores sell everything. Yeah. So, well, um, my, my beef with it is that it's not, not with GW opening up stores. I mean, it's their business. They have to increase their business and their, their, you know, their, um, right. And they do, I mean, yes, having their own store, it is solely their product, right? So they're not competing in store with a bunch of other products. They're not competing with right. Warma Hordes or, you know, Pokemon or Magic or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they get that. But my, my beef was with the playing community that goes and continues to support. I mean, if there's no other option, like, cause it's a web store exclusive, you have to go there. All right. Okay. Sure. You know, but you know, your friendly local game store is providing hundreds, if not thousands of square feet of playing space. Right. And they don't make any money on that space. But they do it in the hopes that you'll spend money at their store. You know, right. um, retail space is expensive. 
I'm, I'm yeah, the, uh, no, yeah, <laughs> for sure. I don't have to tell you, you know, to not right. have it generating revenue is a lot. You know, a GW store is often the size of a kitchen. You know, it's got right. one six by four table and wall to wall product. Yeah, I I think I, I see your point there, and I think that probably one of the things is is that um you know un, un, the unfortunate side effect is is that you have let's say you have a few hundred people that go to a local game store um and then all of a sudden a, G, a gw shows up and say 20 of those people run over to be at gw and they become their new people that go there all the time um in their mind that's their local game store that's their um their niche maybe they didn't fit in at the other store maybe the owner wasn't as nice to him as he thought he was uh, maybe there was some slight from one of the workers. Maybe there was some other thing going on. Maybe it's just they're lazy and it's down the street from their house. You know, whatever the case is, um, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people pick a game store. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, they tend to pop up in areas that are starting to do better and they do happen to be in like a predatory type of zone as far as, um, you know, taking customers away from established stores already in order to, you know, get more of the direct sales themselves. Um, so in, in that regard, I think it's wrong. I, I don't, I don't agree with a hundred percent where they place them. Uh, the first, this first store that I ever went to happened to have a GW show up like a mile and a half down the street. Um, and so, you know, they were never a huge, huge retailer, but you know, they focus more on comics and things like that. But, right. um, you know, it's, it's still frustrating to them. They definitely noticed it was something that happened and they weren't exactly thrilled about it. Um, you know, it cut down on what they ordered and they actually for a while didn't order because they said, well, okay, fine. You guys want to sell Go ahead. We'll sell other stuff, you know? So, um, I think for the most part, it's, it's not necessarily a benefit. I think it's, it is a bad thing, but I think for some select people that, like I said, maybe don't fit in at certain stores, don't have the same, um, experience that everybody does. There's always outliers. I think for the few people, um, it ends up being a benefit for them, but for the majority, it's not. So, I'd like to see a change. I'd like to see something done differently. Um, but you know, at the same time it is what it is and it's part of the, part of the business, unfortunately. So yeah. I didn't, I didn't think about that part about, you know, didn't fit at their friendly local game store. Yeah, I didn't yeah. think about that aspect of it. So I'm good. I'll, I'll still say that your friendly local game store is the best place to game. Oh yeah. I've met no, all 1, of my best friends. I met at friendly local game stores. Um, all my best memories for playing this hobby with their, in a friendly game store or in my garage, you know, it was right. never in a GW store. Um, no, that's a hundred percent. I, yeah. And I don't mean to deject from that. Like that's definitely, um, that's definitely the case. I think everyone, everyone I've ever met has always had that same experience as well. Um, and, and talked about it. They, everyone has a store they grew up going to. They have fond memories there. They remember the giant apocalypse games. They remember, you know, crazy things that have happened that they've done there. Good, bad. Otherwise, um, it's always been a focal point of the, nerd culture to to have somebody uh, or have a place that you can game at um it's kind of like your little safe haven to be able to go to um i know that there's been plenty of times when in between you know work or in between you know having a day off or whatever it is and i'm in the area i always pop in even if i'm not gonna necessarily you know i'm not looking for any particular item i'll just stop by and say hi and um you know try to buy you know a pack of dice or some at least something to drink or whatever to kind of support them because I, I think that's another element that isn't done anymore um, it used to be the unwritten gamer rule. If you went to a local store, you always bought something, even if it was a couple bucks. Right. Um, you know, just, just to kind of like, Hey, I'm here. Here's, you know, I'm, I want to contribute, you know, even if it's for a Butterfinger and a Mountain Dew and I'm going to go sit, you know, do what I'm doing. But, um, you always bought something. It was, was the idea. And I think I've seen a lot of that go away. You'll see people that show up for hours and hours on end. They, and they take up gaming space and then they, 
they don't buy anything. And then, you know, all of a sudden they're mad that their local store shut down or um, is raising prices or whatever else is going on. Yeah. I mean, if you keep not supporting your local game store, one day you're going to wake up. There's going to be no place to play but your buddy's like dining room table or his garage. And you know right. how annoying your buddy's wife is. <laughs> yeah, right. You got three kids screaming in the back room. <laughs> They're, you know, she's pissed because the laundry wasn't swapped. And, you know, here we are just trying to get the last bit of our, our beer down before it can get the hell out of there because it's <laughs> not working out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, before we close up, I wanted to thank you for the beer you brought me. Uh, oh, nice. I've been enjoying like it, it during this, actually, this recording. Uh, I am drinking the Track 7 Brewing Company Panic India Pale Ale. Have you had this one before? I have. It's uh, here in Sacramento. That is probably one of the most popular beers everywhere you go. That's on tap. That's the. That's kind of what like they're a local brewery. They're just down the street from my house. Um, they're it's an amazing brew. They make hundreds of beers, but that's that's like their the go to on tap. You'll see everywhere. And so. I've been told the India the IPA is like the the pumpkin spice latte for dudes. <laughs> yeah well i get uh yeah it's kind of like the uh the hipster hipster ver- uh beer version of uh of all the ones it's uh it, india pale ale kind of started out as something that was frowned upon it wasn't good it had like this terrible taste to it but um it's kind of become the new the new hip thing to do so congrats on that you're cool again so i'm not sure <laughs> way to go uh, ipa <laughs> yeah i wasn't sure if you were planning on being cool again but there it is <laughs> well before we go tell everybody uh, where they can find your business uh your website, Facebook, and all that. Okay. So if you guys are looking for us on Facebook, it's going to be at Hammerhead Games 40K. Um, that, and that's how you'd find us on there. Just type that in in the search bar. You'll be able to find us on Facebook. Give us a like. Give us a share. Follow along. Uh, we do all of our major announcements on there. Uh, we Right now we have a promo going on. Um, you can get 20% off of anything um, that you buy from us on our next order. So check it out. It's at the top of the page. And in a picture you can't miss it if you do give me a message and i will send you that code anyways um but it's there for you so check out our facebook page and get that um and then also if you want to find us on the website which is where you can buy all all of our great products it's uh www.hammerheadgames.net so that's where you'll find us and um, anytime you want to uh get a hold of me i handle all the stuff from uh facebook all the way down to email and anything in between so happy to help anybody that needs it uh, we're also pimping you out at vgrpodcast.com slash merch. Uh, we have pictures of all the, the objective markers and the um, the um, the quick measure tool. We have like action photos of that so you can see what it looks like and what it does. Um, right. so you can check those out. And, of course, anytime you got something that comes up, we're always sharing it on our Facebook page as well. So um, Yeah, that's, that's much appreciated. And actually, for anybody that wants to get any of those branded tools um, – part of the proceeds from each one of those goes to support the show. So if that's something that you're interested in getting, you want to uh, give these guys some, some love. That's the way to do it. Um, and we're happy to work with them. Cause that's, that's what's up. We, oh, we, we also out. got some requests and I know you didn't get to it, but we had some people from Australia saying, are these available in Australia? So I know you just did a big uh, release. You got your, uh, your stuff going on in Australia now too. Yeah. Yeah. Actually that was the other big piece of news and somehow we got lost in the shuffle here, but yeah, it's, um, the other thing is, is we now have a full-time distributor in, um, Australia. So that's going to be handled through objective secured. Um, anybody in the Australian market should be pretty well acquainted with who they are and what they do. They run some of the biggest events. Um, a matter of fact, 
Um, this last year they ran, I believe a few hundred, if not four or 500 man tournament, um, down there, um, for 40 K. So they do big things. They want to do big things for us and get everything out over there. Shipping has always been terrible. Um, so that's how we're going to fix that. So any products that people in Australia would like to get, talk to the fine folks that are objective secured. They are going to, um, post some updates on their website soon and, uh, we'll be sharing that as well. So that's that's the way you get that done and um that will be able to handle all the branded products and get there um those those branded ones won't be part of the standard shipment so if it's something you want we can basically piggyback it onto the next um order that they put through and then that's how we can get it directly to you at, a, at like your normal uh local shipping prices otherwise uh contact me direct and i can get one shipped out to you and get it to you in a few days um it's just of course not nearly as Cost effective. Yeah, just unfortunately, it's just not. That's what we're trying to fix with the distributor. But um, yeah, we'd we'd love to take care of you. So that's what the other big news is, and we're excited about that as well. So you cunts from Australia, you get your stuff, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you you cheeky bastards. I think that's how they say it. I don't know. (laughs) Good try, man. Good try. We have some American slang that sounds stupid to us too. So we're not. (laughs) I'm sure sure they make fun of us on a daily basis, as they should. I'm sure. I'm sure. (laughs) Right. Well, there Tony, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, hey, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Hopefully, we'll get you on again soon, and hopefully, not too long. We'll get that uh, the finally the the rubber match the of the century. Ma- um, yeah, the rubber match of the century. It's coming. Yeah, and you, it, I will. I was gonna say you can't distract me with beer, but I that is not true. <laughs> so um, I have you know, an advantage. You can try. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, to take the high ground. That's definitely the way to go. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it, buddy. That'll be great. Maybe we, uh, maybe we can organize it and have try to do uh, something on stream or something like that. That would be so. fantastic, buddy. Yeah, right on. All right, man. Well, thanks for coming on. I hope you have a great day. Good luck with the business, and I'll talk to you soon. Right on. Thank you. All right, man. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Well, that has been another edition of the Veteran Gamer Reenlisted. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview with Tony Myers. Uh, Like I said, next week we'll be back with our SoCal Open recap um, with some of your voicemails, the recap, some more beer drinking, some more shenanigans. Uh, But until then, ladies, drink up.